if you haven't necessarily been to the place you're taking people to, draw upon the strengths that you do have with mastering the fundamentals and helping your people master those. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. Welcome, everybody, to this latest episode of From Paint to Purpose. I am John Barsness, your humble host on this show. We are really, really excited to have uh, author, speaker, and chief encouragement officer of Giant Leap Consulting, uh, Bill Treasurer, with us uh, as a guest. Uh, he has written many, many books. He's got his latest book coming out here at the end of September called Leadership Two Words at a Time. We're going to get into that a little bit, but also talk about his philosophy on helping leaders uh, become developed. So, Bill, thank you very much for being a part of our uh, podcast today. It's my pleasure. I really look forward to it. I think you guys are doing great things over your company. So why don't we start out, I guess, by t telling a little bit of your story and how you got passionate about helping leaders to grow and develop. Where did that come from innately for yourself? But then just kind of talk about uh, at the, uh, where that has led you and what experiences that uh, has brought to fruition in your writing and, and speaking. So thanks for the question. In terms of leadership development, how I took an interest in it, uh, the, the sort of origin story of my career is that uh, I was leading a troop of uh, athletes, which we can talk about a little bit later, but it was my first leadership job. And I was kind of groping my way through and I had no real leadership references except for like a boss that I had had before this job and ultimately my father. So all I knew was to behave like those guys. And my dad was a hothead. Um, uh, you know, I love my dad, but he was a short-tempered hothead and you know, heavy-handed. And uh, so that's how I led. And then one of my um, athletes in this job confronted uh, me at it. And basically, and, and excuse my language, but he, but he told me that uh, you suck as a leader. I mean, he basically, that's what he told me. And I got defensive. I was like, hey, man, I'm your boss. You'll do what I tell you. But I started thinking about it. I was like, he, he's right. I have no idea who I am as a leader. I just know how to be my dad. And that's not authentic to who I am. So I started to read books on leadership. And the first one I picked up was The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard, who subsequently, he's written 80 books, right? He's a giant in the field of leadership development. So, so I read that book and I got a little bit better as a leader. And then I read another book on leadership and I would start to apply what I was reading and I got a little bit better. But as I'm reading, I'm also getting interested in the topic of leadership and it starts to fascinate me that you can have a positive influence on people's lives. And sometimes that could be a long lasting, permanent sort of thing. And then I decided to, to go to graduate school and study leadership. So it was one person who had the courage to look me in the face and tell me that I wasn't good at something and, uh, and that he, there's consequences for not being good at it and basically insinuating you better get good at it if you're going to be leading these guys. And that, uh, that gave me, that was the domino that set me into now, here it is 20 years later, this August, my business turns 20 years. I've worked with thousands of leaders around the globe. I'm getting ready to launch my sixth book with Ken Blanchard, the guy who I wrote that, you know, that I read his first book. So, so one person's courageous moment with me in my face, which I got defensive about. Who likes to get feedback that stings? Gandhi said the truth only hurts if it should. And it did hurt, but it uh, transformed everything else thereafter. So I got into leadership because I, I was bad at it. 
That is, it's such a great story. I, I actually have a similar story. That's how I, uh, I had a, I had, and he's, uh, you know, talking about this whole world of kind of coming uh, full circle. I had a very similar experience. I was fresh out of school. I didn't know what I was doing. I was good at, as an individual contributor. And like many companies, you're a good individual contributor. You get promoted into a management role because why not? And as somebody who was ambitious and wanted to do that, and I thought I can lead people, that's not a big deal. Uh, and I had, but I also had a, a boss who was willing to sit me down and say, you stink at this. Uh, but it wasn't just, Hey, you stink at this similar to your story. It was, I'm going to help you to find a way to be a better leader. Cause I see something in you that you don't see in yourself yet. And I, I fast forward now 22 years and I am running one of his larger businesses as a side gig, uh, to what I'm doing here at FCP services. And so it, it just, to your point of having one person impact another in just a profound way, you never know what that's going to lead to in generations. And so it's such a, it's, it's interesting because I've heard that version of stories for most leaders who are honest and authentic about why they became a leader, why they continued to develop themselves and others. Uh, it is because of that one piece. We talk, we talk often in our organization uh, about leading one conversation at a time. Uh, you build a relationship and you help people to understand you can I can have a really difficult conversation with a direct report if I've built a relationship. I, I'm granted permission to actually do that. Otherwise, it becomes just, well, you don't know what you're talking about and, I, and, and you can't even get past your defensiveness. So that's a really, really cool story. Uh, one of the things I want to jump right into, if you're okay with it, is talking about your latest book because I had an opportunity to preview it. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. I already ordered my copy, so I'm hoping I'm on the list so that when it drops, I'm going to get it uh, but right away. But um, I, I was fascinated by the, the concept, a couple of your concepts. One of them was this modeling of the values uh, and leading people where, where they haven't been before. Talk a little bit about why that is so important from a leadership perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, something I've learned along the way and then, then seen it too, is that leaders are the, the fancy pants sort of research word for this would be you, that you have to be compensatory to where your people are. And that, uh, so, you know, sometimes cer certainly you want to be compadre and lead them with them, but sometimes you've got to be where, where they are not yet and where you need them to get to. And you have to sort of say, hey, I'm over here and I need you to get here too, because here's where we're going. And uh, it's not always easy. A, a, a tangible real life example of this is literally a week ago. I was working with some senior executives. And going into the session, planning it with three more other senior executives, these other three executives were like, our VP level is so heads down right now, so operational because we're so busy that nobody's paying attention to the fact that we might go into a recession next year. And it's not that we want them thinking about that all the time, but we can't have them oblivious to that fact because they're going to make decisions today that will set us up for how we handle that if it comes our way. And so they wanted to make sure that some of the focus of the conversation in the session we were designing was about and looking at data from past recessions they had been in. In other words, they had to get their group to pay attention to not just today, but where we're going tomorrow in case that outcome comes. We need to be making decisions today. So it's that's the, the kind of compensatory relationship. Sometimes you as a leader might be like, I, I don't know that our folks are paying to this attention to this piece enough. 
And this piece really matters because it's going to be consequential. There's also times where you might have your workforce, and John, you probably ex experienced this, where people might be over worrying about something. And you're, you're worried that their worrying is going to interfere with what they're doing today. So you have to sort of build their confidence up and say, look, I know these are trying times, but we're going to get through this just as we've gotten through those other three things from 10 years back. And that we need you to be confident in this moment instead of afraid. So we're, we're always trying to get them to the emotional state that matches the moment instead of the, necessarily the one that we're in. And that's really important, I think, because what you're really describing is getting people to at least in part think forward and not react to everything that hits them in the face. Uh, and and as leaders, we can get caught in doing that. But if we're doing it, then we can't expect anybody else on our team not to do the same thing in their at their level of uh, of authority or decision making power. Uh, one of the things as I read that, it, it struck me because one uh, maxim of, of leadership that I've heard over and over again, and I actually believe this to be true, is as a leader can't lead somebody where they haven't been themselves. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we promote people to a, a position hoping that they will eventually kind of fill that seat the way they're supposed to. And there's times when that works, but then you have to look at that and say, well, everybody around them also is needing some leadership. And if that person hasn't led them, led to that level before, you're really probably setting up a cycle that could be um, uh, catastrophic depending upon the level of the organization. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how maybe those two pieces link where you want to help your people lead where you are now and get to where you're thinking now, emotionally, mentally, all those types of things. But then how does a leader make sure that they know and their leader, whoever that is, because we always report to somebody, um, that that they're ready for that that piece and they can lead people in that direction. Yeah, so I want to make sure that I'm um, clear. So we, you know, on the one hand, yes, lead people from you know where you need to get them. On the other hand, the idea that it's it's challenging to lead people to where you haven't been. Um, so I, I think that what what's important, what what just comes up for me, is that in those instances, right. Go back to the fundamentals. Like I think of uh, John Wooden, the great ba basketball player, uh, basketball coach, right? Uh, I, I have no idea about his own basketball career. I know as a coach, he was amazing, right? And what he did was take people that, back to the fundamentals. The first lesson that he had for Bill Watson and, uh, and other great, Bill Walton and other great players was how to tie their shoes, right? Like start from the ground up, basic fundamentals the blocking and tackling, the ducks and bunnies, before you get to the complexities that have to be worked out. Um, another example that comes up for me in, for my own life, you know, I was a springboard diver and uh, the, one of the greatest diving coaches in the world was Hobie Billingsley. And he was an Olympic diving coach and he created a number of Olympians, uh, Mark Lenzi being the most prominent, but others as well. Um, he himself was never an Olympian. He himself was a national champion but he took some people to where they hadn't been. And then he became the official of, of the officials. So in the United States, he was the lead. He was the official of not just diving officials, of officials of all sports and represented them at the 1996 Olympics. So as long as that leader has the fundamentals in place and has, uh, you know, I go back to John Wooden. Do you know? I don't know. Was he a great personal basketball player? I don't know. But he was a great coach. And because he mastered the fundamentals. So... If, if you haven't necessarily been to the place you're taking people to, draw upon the strengths that you do have, 
with mastering the fundamentals and helping your people master those. That's a great, uh, I think that's great insight because I think that does, it always reverts back. I mean, if you, if you equate it to anything, whether it is a specific sport or business, doesn't matter the industry in most cases with, within business, there are fundamentals of running a, a, an operation that is going to be successful. And I think the, the best leaders and the best organizations, they keep it simple, but they also just master those simple things over and over again so well that nobody else can match it. So I think that's a great principle. But I think what, what that leads me to is, is what you talk about in the first chapter of this new book uh, on the idea of self-awareness. This is one of the biggest things that most of us struggle with at times because we always have blind spots. But it's this combination of having uh, enough self-awareness and then the humility to admit that those things are real for you so that you can overcome them. So I'm curious if there's if they if you if things come to mind from a success story around that that idea of uh, having people have intentionality around their character, building it, but being self-aware enough to know where they might be falling short or where those blind spots are. And then on the reverse side where you've maybe coached people and they they just simply never get past that phase because they just can't see it the way that that, that they should. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So self-awareness, and as you know, it's the, it's literally the first chapter of the book, right? Know thyself. Uh, self-awareness to leadership is really critical. And and you and I started by sharing stories about our lack of self-awareness, where we got hit upside the face with some feedback. There will always be consequences for behavior, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, and in this case, the, you, you learn to be, most people become, learn to become willing to become more self-aware when they get hit with a blind spot. And in my case, it was that I was not the leader I thought I was. Uh, in your case, sort of same thing, right? So you, you get this moment where, holy crap, I just got you know, hit inside the face or, or doused with cold water that startles me into, I need to change, where do I start? And then usually some mentor appears in your life or some feedback. The way that we do it, and you know this, I'm sure in your own organization, we, what we do to sort of instigate that change is oftentimes through a 360 degree feedback. So that for the first time, a leader who thinks they got it going on, now we evaluate the leader, not just from their own perspective, but their boss fills out the survey, their direct reports, their peers, and now we feed it back to them. So they can see the incongruency data with facts gathered, indisputable right in front of them and see comments from their people. And it creates a schism that now they're like, oh, you know, the truth hurting as it should to startle into behavior change. It becomes the moment. Now we've got the, the person willing, we've marinated them, willing to recognize, look, these, the, you've had now diminishing returns on these behaviors. It's going to get harder for you to be a good and effective leader if you continue on the path you are on. Are you willing to change? And if they become willing to change, now they're much more receptive to coaching. A specific example, I had a, a guy, um, good guy named Dwayne. Uh, and he was in construction. And as you you know, construction can be a pretty old school kind of hit people over the head uh, kind of profession. And that's where he had grown up. And he was under a tremendous amount of stress building a water treatment plant that was the biggest one that he had ever been. Very visible to his bosses. They're all under giving him pressure. He's dealing with GCs and partners that are not happy. And he transmitted that to his own people in the form of anxiety, thinking if he could just make everybody really afraid, they would do a good job. Kind of common approach, actually. Um, but we did a 360 and he got doused. They said he was edgy. They said he was intense. They said that he was uh, controlling, like all this stuff, right? And he, which he hadn't considered the impact of that. 
So he became ready to learn. The good news was he was at this impressionable stage in his career. He's in his sort of younger 30s. Uh, and he did the work. And one of the things that he wasn't do, wasn't doing, as so many leaders neglect, is he wasn't taking care of himself. He had let himself stop working out. He was just eating hamburgers to, so he could rush through to the next meeting. Uh, he didn't like who he was on the inside, and that was eking out to the So we started by him practicing self-care, taking a run at the job site in the morning because they had a, a shower inside the trailer. Uh, and he and he went through coaching, right? And he tried new behaviors and he got better. He and I got featured together in a Wall Street Journal article about the changes he made as a result of going through that 360. Now, to your point, occasionally you might get some fossilized person who it's it, they're so uh, adhesed to who they think they are. And the change for them would be so disruptive to their own self-identity, their, their identity that they have constructed even though it's counterproductive, that they become too resistant to be able to make the change because it is uncomfortable to make those changes. And it is hard. And it admits you're wrong, right? And uh, the humility piece involved. So there are some people who are, just aren't humble enough. It, it's so disruptive to their self-created ego that they're not willing to do it. Um, so so that, that's my long-winded no, answer. No, I think it that. is important because it does. Everything Everything does begin with that ability to see and uh, and know and hear that feedback, first for self and then for others. Because uh, I've also learned in leadership that if I'm not humble enough and vulnerable enough to recognize where I'm falling short as a leader, uh, then I can't also provide positive or, or constructive feedback for my direct reports because I'm likely not willing to even share those things because it's uncomfortable. If I'm not willing to be uncomfortable with myself and go, hey, this is really uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to do the work to, to try to improve this area. I've found as a leader that if I'm not willing to do that, then it's even harder for me to do that with other people because I feel like I'm a fraud then. And so as I've coached leaders, that's one of the things that I always ask along the way is, so if you're not willing to hear and receive this and you're getting defensive, how is that conversation happening with your direct reports? And most times they're like, hey, I don't really go that. I don't really go there. And then we unpack that. But so I think that self-awareness and that ability to, to have a humility around this and consistently recognizing that you're, that you need to be self-aware. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, as you try to, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, want to I want to just ask, I hate to interrupt you, but, but I want to ask, because this, this humility conversation is super important. Uh, one time I was speaking in front of 300 uh, of my biggest client. They had their, their senior executives in the room and, and uh, spontaneously I asked the CEO of the company, the owner of the company, to come on up, and it's like a six hundred million dollar company. To and he was an old timer, and this guy, by the way, you know, he's a bit old school. You, you know, he could he plug into the thing. He use his finger sometimes, like you need to focus on this, and and keep being an intimidating person. Uh, but I asked him. I said in front of his three hundred people, I said, "What's something?" And now he's about seventy. I said, "You know, what's something you appreciate now more about leadership that you think our pre people need to appreciate more?" And then and he's quiet for a second, and he said. The importance of humility. And, and I was so gratified, right? And then he went on to explain the importance of humility. And, and part of it was what part of what you got to as well is you got to be humble enough to listen to anyone and everyone because you might miss something that they might see and you might get some feedback that'll enhance something else. And they got great ideas because they're on the ground closer to the work. So just listening is be, becomes the expression of humility. I would also add that humility, people need to see 
that you haven't forgotten your roots, that you came from their ranks, that you uh, haven't gotten so detached from the, the work that they're doing because you got a great lifestyle now because you've earned it along the way, that you have forgotten who you were, right? That, that all the stuff that you did to get to where you are. So humility is extra important. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. So one of the, the hardest parts to, to do, especially from in most cases, not well, I would argue that most people have an ego. Uh, leaders typically do. Um, it can be outsized sometimes. It can be minimized, but you have to be aware of it. One of the things that I'm curious on your, your point of view on this is um, recognizing that we ha always have things that are going to be challenges for us. There are weaknesses. There are things that are, are, are hangups. Uh, and we teach, at least in our organization, that it's more about recognizing what those are and where the triggers start to crater that and become enhanced, especially under pressure. And it's not as much about trying to fix it or change it because that's who people are. But it's really about being able to say, I'm aware of it. I recognize my triggers and giving them some things to work through it as opposed to just allowing it to be the excuse for why I'm a hothead all the time or why I'm, I'm, I'm blowing steam at people when I, when it doesn't get done my way or why I micromanage when things aren't going well or whatever that might be. I'm curious to see it from your coaching perspective and, and, and your insights, how that lends itself to this piece of self-awareness, but also recognizing you are who you are. You were created this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think sometimes we as leaders get this image in our minds because we read these great books and they and they always talk about the great things about leadership. And every, I, I've read enough of them to go, yeah, that's that is a part of it. And those are all wonderful things. But where's all the stuff that says, man, do I suck at this <laughs> and, and recognizing it? Um, so I'm curious to see on your perspective how that twist uh, allows for people to say, I'm okay with who I am. I know I've got my flaws and that's where that humility and vulnerability comes in when you're leading others or an organization. Yeah. Good, good question. Uh, the first thing I'll say is a lot of our leadership programs, we don't start by deifying leadership, putting it up on a pedestal, inflating it so that it's really hard for people to reach. Cause most of us look at that and say, I'm not that perfection guy that you're asking me to be. So, so we often start with the central fact that leadership is hard. It's really hard. And one of the things that makes it hard is that on any given day, leaders can be impatient, uh, arrogant, judgmental, petty, because leaders are human beings first. And all of us are those things. And, uh, and we have to work towards, you know, you've heard the story of the two wolves, I'm sure, right? The, you know, we've got, we, we have both of these, well, every human being does have both of these wolves inside of us. So, but if you're a leader, if you're coming out of it from your um, selfish wolf who wants its way, wants to control people, wants to win over everybody else, wants the greater spoils, that if you're coming at it from that, that there will be consequences. At least don't be oblivious to it. So, so let's, uh, you're not going to be able to, make that uh, wolf inside of you go away forever. Everybody has these wolves, but it's giving them expression in an appropriate way because it's appropriate to be competitive. Uh, but how do we channel that? So, so I think that what we talk about is not so much that a person has a weakness that needs to be excised, for example, but we talk about sunshine and shadows. The idea that most of the time, if you, get, if you really think about it, your your, the thing that you're bad at or your weakness is actually the emanation of an overuse of your strength. So if you, so in my own example, 
I, I'm, I don't mean to say this arrogantly, but when I do a presentation in front of like 300 people, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable in a room full of 50 people. That's what I do very often. And I can facilitate and I can share a good story and I can get the conversation going. But that and that's a strength. That's my sunshine. But if I've got to be the one in the room that's always saying the funny thing and all the, and drawing the attention back to me all the time and that and making the making me the, the center of the starlight, which I am prone to do if I don't manage it and if I lose consciousness, then then I've taken that strength and now it's casting a shadow that's consequential. So most human beings, it's not that there's a weakness. It's being conscious of what your talent and strength is and then the overuse of that strength. When does it cross a line? Uh, and being aware of the you, word you used was the triggers that might cause me to cross. I like for uh, another example it might be a lot of people, you know, CEOs, owners, but mostly senior executives as well. A lot of them are um, super impatient, and that and that's an outgrowth of passion. We want passion. We want people to care deeply. We want them to give a rip. And if that caring goes too far and it turns into me making you do the thing that I want you to do because I care deeply in terms of impatience and obnoxious behavior, it's the overuse of the passion that you've got. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.